listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. All right, you need some motivation, you need some encouragement, you need some inspiration, you need some information that you can use for the next 12 months of your life. Well, if that's of interest to you, then I have great news, that's what I plan on delivering today. How about that? How many of you need some inspiration? How many of you need some encouragement? How many of you need some practical insights on how to live your life? You're in a good place at, a, at the right time because that's what I plan on delivering. Today I want to talk about goal setting and achievement in the seven major areas of life. Setting goals and achieving those goals in the seven major areas of life. But I don't just want to talk about goals the way that people typically talk about goals. I don't just want to talk about goals in the way that goals are typically discussed when people are looking at goal setting and achievement. I want to, in particular, I want to talk about setting and achieving significant, eternally significant goals. Eternally significant goals. Because if we're not careful... All we'll do is set SMART goals. Maybe you've heard about SMART goals. A SMART goal, it's an acronym, S-M-A-R-T. The S stands for specific. You want to set a goal that's specific. The second letter, M, measurable, needs to be measurable. A, achievable. R stands for results-focused. And T, in SMART, time-bound. Maybe you've heard about that. If you're going to set a goal, it needs to be a SMART goal. But I'm adding to this something that you should be interested in, you should be concerned in, that you're going to be interested in, you're going to be concerned in it by the time we're done in our brief time together today. I want you to set guest goals. Guest goals, G-E-S. I'm spelling it differently on purpose because it stands for God-glorifying, eternally significant Goals. That's what you should be setting in your life. Not just smart goals, because you could make the mistake of just setting some smart goals that could end up being pretty dumb in the eternal scheme of things. Your smart goals need to be God-glorifying and eternally significant. Or else you could make the mistake that Stephen Covey made in his almost excellent best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You're saying to yourself, how can it be an almost excellent book? Are you an overachiever, Mike, or what? How can it be an almost excellent book if it was a bestseller? Because habit number two that Stephen Covey talks about is beginning with the end in mind. And one of the exercises, the exercise that he puts readers through, maybe you've read the book, you can identify with this, you can remember this. If you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it, by the way. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit two, he has you do an exercise where you imagine attending your own funeral. And you're going through the funeral procession, and there you are, stiff as a board, in your own coffin. And you're imagining the end of your life, and then you're pretending you get a second chance. And you're going back, and you're reliving your life with the end in mind. And the end for Stephen Covey is your own personal funeral, your own death. The only problem with that is that death, from the Christian perspective, from the biblical perspective, is not the end. It is simply a transition. It's the beginning of the rest of your life. Today is the day to remember eternity. It's where you're going to spend most of your time. Today is the day to remember eternity. It's where you're going to spend most of your time. And that's why your goals need to be guest goals. They need to be God-glorifying and eternally significant. Otherwise, your smart goals, if they're not guest goals, could be pretty dumb goals. And you don't want to find out when it's too late. Today is the day to remember eternity. It's where you're going to spend most of your time. And you need to set goals that are eternally significant and God-glorifying. And what I want to do is help you set God-glorifying goals in the seven major areas of life. And what I want to do is I want to talk about beginning with the end in mind, which is really the beginning in mind, the judgment seat of Christ. For the Christian, 
You need to keep always at the forefront of every single day and then throughout every single day, throughout the course of the next 12 months of your life, you need to keep at the forefront the idea that you will personally, individually stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for everything you did and the reasons behind everything you did. And that's going to help you set and achieve. It's going to increase the chances of you setting and achieving guest goals, God-glorifying, eternally significant goals. That is the smartest thing you could ever do with the entire course of your life. You're not too young to consider guest goals. You're not too old to consider guest goals. If you're listening now, you are the perfect age to consider and to reconsider how you are or how you are not setting and achieving smart, God-glorifying, eternally significant goals. Now, before we go into the seven areas of life where you're going to be setting those goals, I want to turn to God's Word where you will understand the certainty, the inescapable fact, the inevitable reality that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have in your life the centrality of God's word, that you take God's word as the rudder and the compass, the foundation. Everything in your life is built upon God's word. In fact, if you're not building your life upon God's word, then it's the most important thing that you need to correct in the coming 12 months of your life. There's no way to set and achieve smart goals or to honor God in the eternal scheme of things if his word is not central in your life. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 10, the second portion of verse 10. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is an absolute certainty. The idea of standing before the judgment seat of God is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Each and every follower of Jesus Christ will appear before the judgment seat of God. And we will give an account of what we did in the course of our lives. The things, whether they're good or the things, whether they're bad, whether good or bad, we will give an account of our lives before the Lord. Now, oftentimes, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus for any length of time, we think about this idea of a judgment day coming, and we think about it at such a high level, such a distant way, such a nebulous way, that it has no practical import in the daily routine of our lives. But by the time we're done, we're going to bring that down. We're going to land that plane. We're going to get it on the runway. And you're going to be able to take these scriptures that we're looking at about the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ, if you're going to follow me here, the judgment seat of Christ, as we're going to see in a moment, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, by the time we're done, you're going to understand how to make the most of your life right here and right now in the practical day in and day out maneuvers, the decisions that you're making in your life at the workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in every single one of what I'm presenting to you, what I'm going to present to you as the seven major areas of life. You cannot set a goal and achieve a goal in any area of life that does not fit into one or more of these seven areas that we're going to look at. So what I'm helping you do, what I'm going to help you do is to look at the idea of your personally appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to help you break it down into each of the seven areas of your life so that it's no longer a nebulous thing that you can then, with confidence and humility, and excitement and enthusiasm begin to set and achieve God-glorifying, eternally significant goals in each of the seven areas. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 
Paul the Apostle clarifies what we just looked at in Romans chapter 14. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now this is a great teaching once again about the deity of Jesus Christ. Because in Romans chapter 14, Paul refers to it as the judgment seat of God. But here he's referring to it as the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if Christ was not God, if he was not equal to God, what are we all doing appearing before somebody who's not God and giving an account of ourselves? They're used interchangeably as they should be used interchangeably because to appear before the judgment seat of God is to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. To appear before the judgment seat of Christ is to appear before the judgment seat of God. They are one in the same. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that, here's the reason, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. So not only is it a certainty, but every single Christian will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now notice I'm saying Christian. If you were to look at the book of Revelation in chapter 20, there's another judgment that is for non-Christians, for unbelievers. It is called the great white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment. And if anybody's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they go into an eternity being separated forever and ever from the presence and the goodness of Almighty God. You can look at it this way. Those who live this life wanting to have nothing to do with God will get their wish granted eternally at the great white throne judgment. If you don't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ or with God, one day you will get, eternally speaking, what you have longed for. But nobody would long to be eternally separated from God. You're never more complete. You're never more joyful. You're never more content than when you are walking with Almighty God. Nobody who has ever resisted God has ever come out a winner. And nobody who resists God will ever come out a winner. Conversely, nobody who surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. So the great white throne judgment is reserved for unbelievers, those who reject Jesus. That's their judgment. So then we ask this question, well, if there's a judgment for the believer, which most believers need to think about a lot more than we typically do, what's the nature of that judgment? What's the nature of what Paul is referring to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we will receive what is due to us? whether good or bad. There's a reception involved. We will receive something or some things. Well, look with me at 1 Corinthians in chapter 3 because, once again, we see that the Bible is the best commentary on itself. A steady diet in God's Word will lead you to accurately, correctly interpret God's Word. And here what we're doing, whether it's Romans chapter 14 or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians chapter 3 or 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we are looking at what the Bible says in regard to the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment that every single believer will face. Unbelievers will not face this because they're judged once and for all and they face an eternal separation from Almighty God. Not true in the case of the believer. Most of us need to think a lot more and adjust our lives a lot more to the reality of the judgment seat of Christ spoken of here, in, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Again, Paul, the apostle, presenting to us the theology behind the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will be laid bare. It will be evident and obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work 
each one has done. The judgment seat of Christ is an issue about the quality of our works, not the quantity of our works. May I remind you that you are a human being, not a human doing. We need to be reminded of that in the United States of America where so much of our value intrinsically, we are self-deceived. We think that our value is based on how many things we are achieving, how busy we are. We value as a culture multitasking. But you know what? They're doing studies and they're realizing that multitasking isn't all it was cracked up to be. You need to be a single tasker. You need to focus on what's at hand when it's at hand interacting with people in real time instead of, as we've seen other people, we never do this, do we? At restaurants and in coffee shops, two people sitting across from each other and gazing attentively into their smartphone. (laughs) Looking at the blue screen (laughs) I saw it the other day. We had the audacity, I don't know if audacity is the right word, stupidity to go to Hershey Park on Friday. (laughs) Sub-freezing temperatures. And we were going in and out of these food places, you know, to get warm because we'd go on a ride and then we'd we'd start freezing to death, getting frostbitten. (laughs) Who goes in December to ride on roller coasters? Thankfully, the roller coasters were closed. My son was so upset that the roller coasters were closed. Well, think about it. Think about the wind chill factor here. <laughs> Son, they don't want to have a lawsuit by having to take you to the hospital to reattach your nose and your fingers. And, you know, so we would go into the food areas to warm up. And there was a couple sitting there, a young couple, that they either were a couple for a long time or not for a very long time because they didn't know what to say to each other. And they were just fixated, each of them, with their smartphone. Each had their own smartphone as they were sitting across the table from each other, just gazing and just surfing, scrolling. It's so easy to immerse ourselves in a virtual world and to miss the real world that's happening all around us. And we're living in a day and an age where people are more enamored with a distant relationship and a shallow relationship than a very present relationship that could be and should be a very deep relationship. You need to be careful that you don't allow yourself. And more importantly, for those of us who say, not me, that's not me. That kind of stuff drives me nuts. You need to be careful that you're not allowing your children to go down that road. If you're a parent, there are smart devices in your household. Those smart devices need to be used smartly. I see some of you smiling right now. Don't think that just because the lights are low. I can't see your faces. I see some of the children looking at their parents and it's get, did it get hot in here all of a sudden? You are given the stewardship of your children as parents and as guardians. And you need to teach your children how to use smart devices with wisdom. How to engage in the real world in real time. Because if your child has given their life to Christ, then your child will one day appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for everything they did, whether good or bad. And guess what? You will too. And one of the primary things you need to understand and remember is that you'll give an account for your parenting with your children, whether good or bad. What we need to understand is that life, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be judged not only as a matter of certainty, not only is it a matter for every single Christian, no Christian will escape it, it's also a matter of quality, not quantity. It is the quality of your works that will be judged. They will be judged. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Here is the teaching about the judgment seat of Christ being a judgment of rewards. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is not a judgment of salvation. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, your God... It's a done deal. You will be saved. The question then is, 
the quality of your rewards, the quality of your life, how you're investing your life, what you are doing with your life, and the reality that everything in your life, everything in my life, everything in the life of a believer will one day inescapably, inevitably be judged by God himself. And so don't make any mistake about this, thinking, well, I could lose my salvation. Here it is. It's right here. Verse 15. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You need to be very careful in the stewardship of your own life. Your life is something that you are stewarding. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but you are stewarding your own life for better or for worse or somewhere in between. You need to think about the reality that you could get into heaven but not get there, think about this, not get there with the kind of rewards you would otherwise receive, you would otherwise experience for nothing other than poor stewardship of your life. Conversely, if you are a good steward of your life, and by the way, you're only going to get one this side of eternity, and what you experience in eternity will be influenced by what you do with your life this side of eternity, you have a say. God has given you a say in the kind of rewards and the amount of rewards you will receive or will not receive at the judgment seat of Christ. You do have a say in that. Be careful that you don't have such a, a wrong theological idea about predestination that you embrace que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, as if it's biblical, it's not. God has given you a say right here and right now. He's telling us ahead of time, right here and right now, in the kind of rewards that you will receive, whether or not you receive rewards, whether or not you lose rewards, you have a say in it. And God will hold you accountable for it. God will hold me accountable for it. Look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 5. So the judgment seat of Christ is one of certainty. The judgment seat of Christ is for every single believer. The judgment seat of Christ has to do with the quality of your work, not just the quantity of your work. Don't let yourself be deceived into thinking because you're busy that that means it's significant. It may or may not be. One of the most significant things you might need to do in the coming 12 months is to reduce what you're doing to do less things and to do them better. And if you need motivation, hopefully you've gotten some of that right now when it comes to God glorifying eternally significant goals. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Have you ever stopped to think? If you haven't, you're going to do it right now. We're all going to do it. That it's not just the quantity, not just the quality of your works. It's not just the quality of your works. It's also the motives behind what you do that God will judge. It's not just what you do, not what I do that matters. It's not just what a Christian does, not just what a person does that's going to be judged. What also is going to be judged is the reason why you do what you do, which means this. This is a frightening thing to contemplate, but we need to contemplate it now. Would you rather hear it now while there's time to change or later when it's too late to change? Imagine two people. On the outside, they both look like wonderful people. They both serve Jesus diligently. They're both dedicated to his work, dedicated to the ministry, whatever capacity. And by the way, every follower of Jesus is called to the ministry. Some of us are paid. Some of us are good for nothing. I say that lovingly. Okay, that's a joke. You might not get a paycheck to serve Jesus, but every single follower of Jesus Christ is called to service. 
Two people can look like they're tearing it up for God, serving faithfully, serving diligently, and they can look identical. In fact, one of them might look like they're tearing it up more than the other. Did you know, based even just on this scripture alone, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the one who looks like they're serving the Lord more diligently, more faithfully, more fruitfully, actually might have an ulterior motive that might be dishonoring to God and cost them eternal rewards? Have you stopped to think as deeply as you probably need to think about it? I know I think about it often and probably need to think about it much more often. It's not just what we do for God that matters, it's why we do what we do that matters. There are many people who are serving God for the wrong reason, out of guilt. You know, we can be a follower of Jesus Christ and understand salvation by grace through faith alone, that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, but yet we can, with this undercurrent in our lives, this subtle drive in our lives, we can still be involved in the, the exercise and futility of trying to please an unpleasable parent. And before you know it, we can have an appearance of godliness. It can look like, boy, that person is so spiritual. That person is serving the Lord so diligently, so faithfully, so, in such an exemplary way, but they might not be serving in an exemplary way. They might be serving in a way that you don't want to have anything to do with. And so what's presented in the judgment seat of Christ is that everything's going to be laid bare, not only the things that we did, but also the reasons why we did them. And you need to make sure that over the, the course of the next 12 months of your life and beyond, that you are doing things for the right reason, that your goals and what you're endeavoring to do with your hands and with your feet and with your eyes and with your heart and with your money and with your time and everything in your life together, you need to make sure that you're doing it for the right reason, that it is God-glorifying and eternally significant. You're not going to appear before the judgment seat of your father, naturally speaking, your natural father. You're not going to appear before the judgment seat of your mother. You're not going to appear before the judgment seat of your brother or your pastor. Aren't you thankful for that? Or your elders or your church body or the Supreme Court of the United States, you're going to appear before the court of God, the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is certain. It's for every single Christian. It's about the quality of the work that you're doing. And quality has everything to do with the motives behind why you're doing the things that you're doing them. There are many people within the body of Christ, many people outside of the body of Christ, but the church seems to be especially a magnet for these kinds of people who are looking for attention that they are not able to get at the workplace, in their natural family, in their neighborhood. And so they'll come to a church and they'll seek for attention in some other way. They'll seek recognition and they'll get busy serving, really, themselves but all along it looks like they're serving Jesus. See, if you're serving God, I'm using that in quotations, if your service to quote-unquote God has an ulterior motive that you're driven for the recognition of people, one day that's going to be found out for what it is. So this could be the next 12 months of your life where you put that to rest and you begin to serve God perhaps in some of the very same ways, but now you're serving him with the right motive, with the right attitude. Remember, attitude does determine your altitude. It does have everything to do with what's going to happen when you appear before Jesus, when you appear before God at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is certain Every Christian will face it. The judgment seat of Christ has to do with the quality of what you're doing in the course of this life 
And quality is determined by your motives, by my motives. God does care about, God does see what human beings are not able to see, the secret motives and the innermost recesses of who you are, the things that no mere mortal can see. God sees why you do what you're doing. He sees everything. And so you have a say right here and right now and what you're going to do with what you've just heard about the judgment seat of Christ. You have the opportunity to adjust your life. And in our final remaining moments, I want to talk about now the seven main areas of life to give you an idea now of how you land this plane. What do we do now with this idea that was once nebulous, that was something that I really couldn't wrap my head around Now, in light of the judgment seat of Christ, what can I do to make sure that I'm setting and achieving God-glorifying, eternally significant goals so that when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I will receive rewards that honor Jesus. I won't experience the loss of rewards. Now, if you're like me, you can look back at the course of your life and you can say, my goodness, I wish I would have known about this much sooner. It's not something we talk about in the body of Christ the way we should. It's not something that we think about as believers as often as we should. I don't know about you, but there are many things I've done in my life that I know, that I know, that I know have cost me eternal rewards. Can anybody identify with that or am I the only one who wants to be honest? Here's the issue. Put behind you what's behind you. Forget what's behind you and press on ahead from this moment forward And make sure that whatever you do from this moment forward is God-glorifying and eternally significant. You can't change the past, but you can make a decision in the present that will affect the rest of your future. And that's what God is asking you to do. The first major area of life, your career goals, your calling. What has God called you to do? You know, life is too short to pursue anything less than your passion. Life is too short to pursue anything less than your passion. You should get paid to be passionate about what God has put in your heart. And if you're not getting paid serving God with your passion, stop being good for nothing. Get focused on your passion. If you don't know what your passion is, then make it your number one goal this year for the next 12 months to discover what you're passionate about and set your hand to the plow. Don't look over your shoulder to look who's following or applauding you and get busy with your passion. You might say to yourself, well, my career's over. I'm retired now. Well, you can still be passionate. Now you get the opportunity to be good for nothing. Now you get the opportunity to be passionate about what God's calling you into in this next season of your life and to put your hand to that plow not to look over your shoulder to see who's applauding you or to see who's standing up and cheering you on. Understand that Jesus will be cheering you on at that judgment seat when you stand face to face before him. And so you should be setting goals for yourself in the area of what has God called you to do? What is it that God has called you to do? There'll never be another you. You're the only version of you the world will ever see. In fact, you are the only version of you that God will ever create. Be the best version of you. Set some God-glorifying, eternally significant career and passion goals. Life is too short to do anything less than your passion. That's the first area where you set your goals, your career and your passion, your career and your passion, your vocation. How are you going to make money? A large part of your life is going to be giving yourself to work where somebody is going to pay you for what you do. You should be passionate about what you're doing in your vocation. You should give yourself to the Lord through your job. And you know what? Some people actually get to be paid for what they're good at. And you should determine what God has made you good at so that you can get paid for it too and you can be passionate about it. Second area of life that you need to focus on, family and relationships. Your family and your relationships. It's all too easy for family to fall through the cracks. It is. But you need to set real 
God-glorifying, eternally significant goals for your family and relationships. Who's the Paul that you want to sit under? Who's the Barnabas that you want to come alongside of? Who's the Titus or the Timothy that you want to mentor and build into? See, everybody in life, you should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy or a Titus. I like to say Titus because I have a son named Titus and he's working the camera right now and I'm looking at him right now and he's actually doing a pretty good job. Thank you, thank you, Titus. But you should think about your family probably more often than you tend to think about your family. And you should think about what do I want to do with my family apart from running away from them over the next 12 months, right? What do I want to do with my family? How can I spend meaningful time with my family this year? Who are the friends? What are the friendships that God has given me where I can invest in the lives of these people? What kind of quality things do I want to do for the right motives to spend time with these people? Who are these people in my life that I always find myself saying, you know what, I need to call this person, I need to text this person, I need to go have coffee with this person. Who are the people? You're probably thinking of them right now. They're coming to your mind and you're writing them down. Hopefully you're not driving as you're listening to this. You're pulling the car over and you're writing it down. Family and relationships, those relational goals. Haven't you realized that life is relationships? All of life is relationships. There's no area of life that you can safely separate from relationships. Eventually, even if you're a computer geek, even if you're a cameraman standing behind a camera, eventually what you do affects people. Life is relationships. A large part of our satisfaction or our dissatisfaction in life comes from the quality or the lack of quality of our relationships. Set some goals over the next 12 months so that you can set some goals now so that over the next 12 months, those relationships in your life become intentional. I've been thinking about doing this for so long. I've been thinking about getting together with this person for so long. Make it so. You know, the difference between a dream and a goal is a date. Set a date. Write it down. Make it happen third area of life that you and I need to think about is our educational goals. Educational goals. Now, there's formal education and there's informal education. Some of us have gone or are going to college or want to go to college one day or graduate school or work on your PhD. That's a formal thing. And you should think about that. You should set some goals or maybe you've already set some goals and you've achieved them. But then there's also the informal education in life. You are a byproduct of who you spend time with, the books that you read, the podcasts that you listen to, look at your drive time in a totally different way. If you spend just 30 minutes a day for five days, from say Monday through Friday, 30 minutes a day, most of us spend more than 30 minutes a day in our drive time, and you listen to quality stuff while you're in your car or in your truck, in your commute, and you just spend 30 minutes a day for five days every week listening to a great podcast, listening to a great message, listening to educational resources about whatever you want to learn about in the course of life. At the end of one year, you'll have spent around the clock five Days. That's the equivalent of going away to a seminar for a whole week long on whatever it is that you want to learn about. You can learn about relationships. You can learn about money. You can learn about whatever it is that you want to learn. There's this thing called the internet. You've got it on your smartphone. Use it smartly. Use it wisely. You don't have a smartphone. You're still going to the library. You say, I don't want to have anything to do with that God-forsaken thing called the internet. Well, go to your library and study and research and set some goals on what you want to learn, whether it's driving in your car or whether it's sitting quietly for 30 minutes a day, five days out of the week, and reading that book that you've wanted to read for so long. Read that book on whatever it is that you need to read about. And you know what? You will invest in yourself. You are worthy of investing in yourself. You're one of the wisest investments you can make in your own development mentally, in your own development educationally. You could get the equivalent of an undergraduate degree, a master's degree, a PhD in the course of your life just by listening to great material in your drive time. 
That doesn't take into account all of what you're going to do while you're on that treadmill, which brings me to that fourth area of life, your physical goals. How many of you are thinking about a treadmill this time of the year? Of course you are. How many of you are thinking about running and working out and eating less? Come on now. This time of the year, it's New Year's Eve. We've all eaten things, consumed much more of things over the past couple of weeks. That's why the guys who make jeans, the gals who make jeans, now make them with stretchy material built in (laughs) because they know we need a little bit more stretch (laughs) to make us a little bit more comfortable because We've just been blessed in the land of opportunity in the United States of America where we can, we can think about not just when to eat, but what to eat and often how much to eat whenever we want to eat. And so what do we do? We eat often, we eat a lot, and we eat whenever we want to. That's what we do. So physical goals are really important. They're really important for you to think about. You want to lose some weight? How are you going to lose it? You want to keep that weight off? How are you going to keep it off? You know, the best way to lose weight is to build muscle. You burn more calories when you have muscle. You know, when you have this visceral fat around you, that tire tube around you, and you're seeing it like I have seen it grow over the past couple of weeks, you're seeing it grow around your waistline, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Inside your body, your organs are now covered with more fat as well. And when your organs are covered with more fat, your heart has to pump harder. You increase the chances of getting diabetes and all kinds of health problems. You might say to yourself, forget that. I'm giving up on my health. We're all going to die anyway. We're all going to die somehow. That's right. But if you neglect your health, and I'm speaking as a cancer survivor who used to burn the candle at both ends, all right? Had to learn the hard way. I suspect that my cancer was probably self-induced. Am I right about that? I don't know. But I can theorize about it. I used to burn that candle at both ends. You need to think about this. You need to replace this idea, this philosophy, well, we're all going to die somehow. We're all going to die eventually. Yeah, but you might have a say in how you're going to die, when you're going to die, and why you're going to die. And you might not just die suddenly. You might come up with some kind of a physical illness that could have been completely avoidable if only you ate better and you exercised And you have a say in that. I say this respectfully. There are people who come up to us as pastors. It happens in every church. And they want, uh, they're asking for a Hail Mary. They've neglected their body for decades. Overeaten or undereaten. Not exercised. Didn't have their goals, their God-glorifying, eternally significant goals lined up. And they were married to their job neglected all kinds of relationships, didn't eat right, didn't exercise, and now their body's falling apart. And they're, they're coming to us. They want us to throw that Hail Mary. They want us to pray for God to bring healing and a miracle. And sometimes God does bring a healing and a miracle. But you know what? Be your own miracle while you have time to be the miracle worker in your own life. Work with God and cooperate with him. Set some God-glorifying, eternally significant goals in what you're eating and how you're exercising and how you're using your time. And you know what? You might find that God will show up in the course of your daily life. And you might need, like I need, accountability. Get rid of all that junk food in your house so that you're not tempted to eat it. Give it to your spouse. (laughs) If you do that, I'll see you in my office this week for some other kinds of counseling, okay? (laughs) Financial goals. Think about your financial goals. You know, if you set aside $50 a week, which I didn't do when I was in my 20s, starting in my 20s, if you set aside $50 a week and do it consistently, do the math for yourself and you'll be amazed. At over 45 years, you will be a millionaire. In 45 years, with 8% interest, which is realistic, 8% interest is a realistic figure. In 45 years, you'll be a millionaire when the interest is compounded. It's amazing. Think about what you want to do 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You might say to yourself, many of us have bad attitudes about money. We think, well, but money, isn't that evil? Isn't money 
the root of all evil? No, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The truth of the matter is, I love what Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, says, says it this way. You're going to have problems in life whether you have money or whether you don't have money. Would you rather have the problems that poor people have or that rich people have? See, poor people can't give to God's work the way they should give. And sometimes we're poor because we don't have God-glorifying, eternally significant goals in the area of our finances. You should be giving 10% as the bare minimum, 10% as the bare minimum of the gross, not the net. When God gives you a paycheck, because God is the one who gives you the ability to work, the Bible makes that very clear, you should be giving off the very top at least consistently 10% of what God gives you. It goes right to God. Well, then I can't live. Yes, you can. My God will supply all of your riches according to his glory. You need to make a distinction between your needs and your wants. Many of us get those confused. If you confuse your wants with your needs, you will overspend, you will undergive, you will not glorify God, and guess what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ when it comes to the area of your finances? You will receive a loss of rewards for nothing other than not having thought it through in advance. See how practical this is? about the money that God puts at your disposal and what you're doing with it. You need to think about your financial goals. What do you want to achieve over the next 12 months of your life? Write them down, commit to them, think about your savings, think about your retirement, think about your giving, and you're off. You're off and running. The other thing you need to think about are recreational goals, fun. Most of us, especially in the ministry, but most of us don't keep a Sabbath, a personal day. Jesus said the Sabbath was given for man, not man for the Sabbath. You might not be able to take it on a Saturday, but you are able to take it. There are seven days in the course of a week. Take a Sabbath one day out of the week where you don't do anything but rest and relax. Well, how do I determine if it's rest or if it's work? Think about it. Pray about it. God will give you insight. He'll show you and give you clarity about it. But you need to take one day out of the course of your week and you need to make it a day of rest where you're not working, you're not trying to make a paycheck, you're taking it and you're putting it aside and you're getting reset physically, emotionally, spiritually. You need to rest. You need to have recreation time. You need to think about, you wanna go camping this year? You wanna go fishing? You wanna go hunting? You wanna go on dates? What do you want to do in the recreational aspect of your life the course of the next 12 months? Think about it, write them down and set some goals because you're allowed to have fun. It's a good thing to have fun, especially those of us who work really hard. You need to hear somebody say, go have fun, go play, be guilt-free. And one of the reasons why, listen, I'll tell you this from my own experience. One of the reasons why we often can't disengage and play and recreate the way we otherwise could and would and should is because we're not setting goals and using our time wisely in all of these other areas of life. And our lives are out of balance. And when our lives become out of balance, it spills into everything. You'll play harder. You'll rest better when you work smarter. And when you set God-glorifying, eternally significant goals in all of these other areas. And finally, I'll end with this. The thing that really everything is this, your spiritual goals. Every area of life is spiritual. In fact, all these goals that we just talked about, every single one of them is spiritual if you're doing it for the glory of God. If you understand the importance of having right motives, if you understand the reality, the inescapable reality of the judgment seat of Christ, and it's something that you and I can look forward to, not dread and shrink back from and say, oh my goodness, but it's something that we can look forward to. The spiritual goals in your life. What do you want to read in the Bible this year? What spiritual books do you want to read that will help you understand and interpret the Bible? You probably ought to keep a journal, writing down the things and the lessons that God is teaching you. you know, for a while, I stopped keeping a journal because I thought, well, who's going to read this someday? Such a, who's going to read this? It's not about what somebody else is going to read. You write a journal and you keep a journal for you. The journaling process is for you, not for somebody else to read when you're long gone. You want to write some lessons out to people? Write them down. It's something separate. A journal is for you to process the things that God is showing you in his word, the spiritual lessons that he's teaching you. Most of us were too busy in that quiet time that you're having every single day that you need to have every single day. 
before you even begin to pray, before you even open up your Bible, just sit in a chair. Pastor Joe and I went to a conference earlier this year, education. And one of the things that they talked about was white space. Remember that, Pastor Joe? And we said, man, what a great idea. We hadn't even thought about that. And I bet you're doing it. I'm doing it. You sit in a chair and you just contemplate your life. And you think about that day. All I've got is today. I don't have a promise of tomorrow. And you think about the reality. I'm putting my own bent on it, my own twist on it, of the judgment seat of Christ. That each day is significant. Today is going to take its place as a tile in the mosaic of your entire life. And you just sit quietly and you think about your life. You think about your relationships. You think about your finances. You think about your physical health. You think about your career. You think about your passion. You think about your fun time, your recreational time. You think about those things and you submit them to God. And then you begin to pray. And you begin to say, Lord, help me to be about your business with the right motives. And I can guarantee you that if you do that, if you look at your life in each of these seven areas, the judgment seat of Christ, instead of it being some distant, nebulous, far off thing that you can't really wrap your head around, you begin to understand it in the day in and the day out of life. And I can guarantee that now you have some motivation, some inspiration, and some practical insights that you can begin to apply in your life over the course of the next 12 months. Did I deliver what I promised? Did I give you what I said that we were gonna have the course of this year? If you take some time this week to listen again to the podcast and let what you heard go even deeper down into what you heard right now, this year can be one of the best years of your life because you'll be intentional. Remember, the unexamined life, as somebody famous once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Take some time to examine your life and make adjustments in each of the seven areas of life. Set God glorifying, eternally significant goals and your life will be one that you'll be able to look back at one day and say, wow, glory to almighty God. And you know what? Other people will do it too. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit couragematters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.